GI Connect is an initiative of Core to Ed. This podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Bayer. The views in this podcast are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' academic institution or the rest of the GI Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the Core to Ed website. So welcome to our first GI Connect podcast. Thank you for joining us. So my name is Dr. Jenny Seligman and I'm a medical oncologist from the University of Leeds in the UK. And I'm joined by Dr. Dominic Modest from the Charity University of Medicine in Germany and Dr. Autumn McCree from the University of North Carolina, USA. So for our first episode, we're going to discuss targeted therapy and metastatic colorectal and gastric cancer. Firstly, I'll just do a quick plug for our other episodes. So in our second episode, we're going to be discussing immunotherapy approaches in advanced colorectal and gastric cancer. And in our third episode, we're going to discuss future important developments. So back to episode one, targeted therapies. So I think we're all familiar with EGFR monoclonal antibodies and VEGF inhibitors and they form part of our standard practice and we've spent the past 10 to 15 years refining our patient populations and our chemotherapy backbones. So for this episode, um, I think we're going to discuss more novel targeted approaches in both colorectal and gastric cancers. So let me get to my first question. Um, So, um, what are the most practice-changing drug targets in colorectal cancer? Dominic, I don't know if you want to take that first. Uh, Thank you, Jenny. Uh, I'm happy to take that one. Um, Of course, I think given the last um, years, um, with the exception of MSI and uh, KROS that we will cover in the uh, following episodes, Uh, I think HER2 uh, targeting uh, is something that we have been dealing with every year in terms of small cohorts uh, that were all, um, in fact, pointing to the decision that this target will arise, uh, will be developed, further drugs are implemented. Um, So I think this is something that we will definitely take into focus for the next years. And I think the other one is BRAF uh, that we have been testing um, with minor consequences for many patients for many years and uh, where we have come to, I think, the situation where we kind of tailor treatment decisions from first to second line uh, based on that biomarker. So I think uh, both are not new in oncology, but both emerge in colorectal cancer. So I, I agree. I think, um, you know, the BRAF data is certainly a bit more solidified in its its role in, in the second line of these patients. I, I think um, the data that was presented at, at ASCO 2020 and then, you know, ASCO GI of 2021 really show that from both a efficacy standpoint and a quality of life perspective, um, these patients do better with targeted therapy compared to chemotherapy. I think the lingering question is, what should we do for these people in the first line setting? Um, are the targeted therapies going to play a role there? We're still waiting for the data from clinical trials, but you know, are most people still using chemotherapy in the first line? I think for my patients, I tend to still use 
triplet therapy for my robust patients, you know, with full Fox Fury. But um, I think that's where the question has not been answered is, you know, will, will these drugs play a role in the first line setting? Yeah, I think the curious thing for BRAF is that the thing that we thought we had understood meaning for Fox Erie for everyone who can stand, uh, has now been a bit of put into doubt with the meta-analysis uh, of uh, the five trials that compare triplet to doublet chemotherapy um, that was published uh, by the GONA group last year. Um, for those who haven't read, uh, the, I think, anticipated benefits uh, that has been guiding us uh, and was implemented in all guidelines uh, could not be reproduced in that meta-analysis. So I think... Uh, The key question that we thought was biological therapy, yes or no. So we have answered that now, but lost the security what to do in first line. And I think it's, it's quite interesting because without a first line standard, and I would argue that we don't have one anymore, um, we can do anything, basically. Um, we could even discuss uh, if BRAF testing in first line has a big impact uh, on treatment uh, decision. Um, I would still say yes, but less than a year ago. Well, and I think, too, in the past, when we haven't had good targeted agents for these drugs, their runway has been very short. And so I think all of us have felt inclined to try to get as much chemotherapy into them up front as possible because we had, you know, survival times of less than a year. I think now if we're going to be able to extend their runway with targeted therapies and we have a little bit more time to think strategically about how to sequence these drugs, then we may not have to use such a, a heavy hitter as full Foxury in the first line setting. Um, which, you know, I think for, for some of these patients, it's just not an option if they're not robust enough to tolerate that. So what kind of first line options do you think there would be? Um, do you think we would, we'll start to incorporate the, the targeted agents alongside chemotherapy? Um, do you think there's a role for the, the triplet drug targeted agent in the first line? Well, that's difficult questions. I think combination of chemo and biological therapy is what we all hope for because the data of biological therapy alone in first line, um, as presented by the ANCOR study, were not convincing enough, uh, I think, for the future to stimulate a phase three design. So I think the trials we await is chemo plus minus biological therapy in the first line setting. So I think that's the biggest hope. Um, it's speculation to say whether it works. I guess it works. Uh, I hope it works, but I don't know. Um, and for triplet and doublet, I would just say um, treat patients for objectives beyond BRAF. I mean, if you have a fit and maybe potentially resectable patient who is young and doesn't have uh, an EGFR-sensitive tumor, so it's not RAS, BRAF wild type, um, and left-sided, uh, I think the question of triplet is, I think, to anyway in the room. So you have to take that decision anyway. Um, and I would, I think, just group the BRAF alongside those uh, that are not candidates for doublet plus EGFR and for all of these I think it's chemo as much as necessary to reach clinical objectives, uh, plus minus bevacizumab. And I think fortunately the trials have been planned and the trials are ongoing. And so this story seems to be a little bit further developed in terms of, of how we're supposed to sequence these drugs. I, I think the story is a little bit more underdeveloped mm. for the HER2 in colon, um, just because the studies that we have typically have been single arm phase two studies, but I still feel like this is becoming 
a story that's promising enough that, you know, testing for HER2 and colon cancer, colorectal cancer should be considered standard of care. Uh, I totally agree. I think uh, with HER2, we are, I think, experiencing exactly the same as with BRAF. We're getting a phase two trial each year um, that is convincing in, its, uh, in itself, um, that, that doesn't give the big breakthrough, her, like phase three uh, efficacy um, confirmation um, that we need to really implement that. But I think the, the evidence that is summing up over the years uh, with the Heracles trial and uh, the Heracles 2 trial and the, uh, my pathway data, I mean, there's so many data now we're having on her too. They're all small, but they're totally consistent. So I think uh, we're really nearing uh, the point uh, where this breakthrough phase three will take place and then we will have exactly the same. We're just a few years behind in the development, uh, but it's exactly the same as with BRAF. I mean, we have been, I think, writing uh, proposals for BRAF studies, all of us, for many years, uh, knowing that BRAF inhibition in combination with EGFR somehow works until a company just did it. Um, and that was, I think, the major problem that we had. Not that we had not an idea uh, on how to treat these patients. It was just the big phase three data that were missing for so many years. I think what's really interesting with the HER2 story is just with how many different drugs have been developed to target this therapy. So, you know, we all are familiar with with the the HER2 monoclonal antibody or, or trastuzumab, but when you look at all of these different studies, you know, there's some that use small molecules, there's some um, that, that target the the internal receptor. There's some that that target the external receptor. I think the Destiny trial um, that was presented at ASCO 2020, you know, was the first trial to use an antibody drug conjugate, and we now have an approval for that drug, at least in the United States, for gastric cancer. I, I think when you look at the PFS times of the Destiny study and even some of the other phase two studies that Dominic mentioned. Um, you know, I, I think it's hard not to get excited about these, even though it's a small population of patients, you know, they're certainly outperforming what would be considered standard therapies um, in the general refractory colorectal cancer population. So I think this will be a really um, fun story to watch develop. And I suspect at some point this will be a considered a standard approach for HER2 amplified colorectal cancer. Sure. Great. So, so just to, to, to ask the same question, but in gastric cancer, what, what do you think are the most practice-changing drug targets? Um, I think that uh, trastuzumab deruxtecan, um, just to say this really complicated name uh, of the drug, um, is something that, at least for her too, gastric cancer is really promising. Um, and I think even in patients that were her too refractory, um, has an efficacy that I think is quite impressive. Um, so at least for this small subgroup of her two positive uh, gastric cancers, uh, that opens up a new treatment um, option that we have already approved by the FDA, uh, not by the EMA. Um, I think uh, it's very speculative to uh, to talk about whether this will happen or under which uh, precondition uh, and trial. Uh, but I think there's something arising um, that is really interesting for gastric cancer, already available in Northern America. Um, and the drug is, is also, I think, interesting in uh, even in lung cancer and colon cancer and um, I think uh, bile duct cancers, breast cancers. So, so that appears a strong uh, option of treatment for two driven tumors. Um, I think 
for gastric cancer, it's, it's quite uh, a step forward. I agree. I, I think really the, the big story for gastric cancer has been immunotherapy, and we're going to cover that a bit more extensively in episode two. I, I think there was some also interesting data from, from GI ASCO of 2021 that looked at FGFR as a potential target in gastric cancer. And um, I think the, mm-hmm. the FIGHT study was certainly interesting enough that I think that story will continue to develop. And, you know, I think that sort of lends the question of, you know, well, how do we miss all, you know, how do we catch all of these potential targets um, in these patients? You know, gone are the days where we're just testing, say, RAS, RAF status for colon or HER2 status for gastric cancer, which at least in, in my career, I can remember a time when that's all we did. Um, I think now there's more of a push to get more comprehensive molecular profiling on these patients. Yeah, so I think that's a really good point, um, you know, with the the, the amount of ag- agents emerging. Um, so what molecular testing should be the standard of care? So let's start with colon cancer. And I'm going to put it even further. At what point do you think the testing should be done in the patient pathway? Um, a tricky one, um, because we all know um, that we have a lot of ideas with that. Um but not all the answers. So for metastatic colorectal cancer upfront, I would say uh, RAS testing, including KRAS, NRAS, exome 2 to 4, BRAF testing, uh, MSI high um, testing, and HER2 testing would be, I think, the minimal approach um, for the future. We could argue whether NTRAC fusions and other very rare um, molecular alterations should be tested. Um, that leads to the question, should we do an extended panel for anyone? And my personal opinion is yes, but these are the most frequent targets. For RAS and also for HER2, um, the key question of uh, secondary changes during treatment um, has been asked. And I think before EGFR re-challenge is considered, which is, I think, a strategy that is not really labeled, not really established, but has been practiced by oncologists for decades, at least in Germany, um, Liquid biopsies testing for secondary RAS mutations should be done again. And of course, uh, in patients um, that have been re- uh, been treated with EGFR antibodies, um, secondary resistance mediated by HER2 um, is something that has been described in the literature quite a few times. So it might make sense to have a second HER2 testing in refractory patients from third line or beyond. That is my personal opinion. Yeah, I've really struggled with this. I would say for better or worse, the paradigm, at least in the United States with most academic oncology institutions, and I would argue in a lot of our community practices as well, is, you know, much broader um, platforms are being used to get a lot of data on these patients. And so for most of us, we're using a commercial assay, whether, um, you know, that that collects hundreds of genes, um, both DNA sequencing, RNA expression. Um, And, you know, I think we do have some retrospective and and even some prospective data with the iPredict study that if you can find patients who you can match a drug to, um, they do seem to have better survival. Um, I I think, you know, for someone who dabbles quite a bit in the phase one setting, you know, we've kind of struggled with whether using a drug that targets one particular aberration in a patient's tumor is going to be a successful approach unless that that tumor is just very addicted to that one particular pathway. 
But I've struggled with this. You know, I, I've seen the paradigm at my own institution go from being able to cherry pick and only order the three or four things that Dominic just mentioned and not even having that option at my institution now because of this shift towards getting these large um, data sets. Um, I, I think the data can be very useful if we can, you know, sort of mine it in an appropriate way to learn about, you know, what are potential predictive predictive biomarkers, but my suspicion is we're getting a lot of information on patients that we're not using. Okay. And in gastric cancer? So I would say for gastric cancer, you know, without a doubt, um, we need to know their HER2 status. Um, we'll talk more about the role of pdl one as a biomarker um, in the next episode. Um, MSI high certainly plays a role here. Um, I think now you could argue, although not standard of care, it's interesting to know whether these patients have an FGFR um, fusion. But, you know, I would say that our, our targeted options outside of that are fairly limited um, unless you're trying to get patients on sort of a, a match or taper-like pathway. I think my only addition to gastric cancer testing would or could be uh, virus-driven gastric cancer like Epstein-Barr virus, um, although yep. this is not clearly a standard, um, but I see you nodding. Um, yeah, I think it's quite convincing that these tumors also have a quite high chance um, to respond to immunotherapy. So although this is not really prospectively um, evaluated, um, I think um, it's interesting to know and helpful for clinical decision making. But I, in fact, totally support um, I think the the problem that we face with many data and the data we need for a decision, I think we're just in a, in a transition phase uh, where we have a, a lot of data, use very little of it and need just to learn how to use the data that we have. So I think um, there's no right or wrong, but just getting, uh, getting the knowledge out of the data uh, that we're having in the future. And I think it's just the beginning. Um, I think that the panels will get bigger and bigger and more precise and um, I think we just have to learn to cope with this information. <laughs> right. so, so that's been great. So I'd, I'd like to thank Autumn and Dominic for this discussion. Um, just in a summary, I think we can say that beyond um, EGFR and VEGF, there's more emerging targeted options in both metastatic colorectal and gastric cancer. In BRAF, colorectal cancer, there's now an effective treatment option and next steps will be looking to see how we integrate targeted treatment into the first line. With HER2, this is certainly showing a, a, a consistent picture in colorectal cancer, but it's perhaps not quite into the mainstream yet with um, exciting new developments in gastric cancer. Molecular testing, obviously with more targeted agents, we need to do um, more testing. But and at this point, I think there's a transition across the world and in individual institutions about whether you test the minimum for the targeted agents versus a wider panel. So I'm going to close there. Um, thank you for joining us and I hope you'll join us for our next episode. This GI Connect podcast was brought to you by core to ed Independent Medical Education please visit courtoed.com for more information.